Hey, brothers and sisters, welcome back to the Pint, Pipe, and Cross podcast. Uh, This is Robert recording alone again today, unfortunately. James, we miss you. We hope you'll be back with us soon. So today, uh, just to jump right into it, I want to bring together two different uh, works that I really have enjoyed. Uh, One of them is a book titled Only the Lover Sings. This is by Joseph Pieper. And the other is an essay written by my man, Hilaire Belloc, uh, called The Storm. And that is in his collection of This and That. So if you're not familiar, uh, Hilaire Belloc wrote a lot of essays. And he would compile these essays into books that would just sell of like 20-some random essays about random stuff, you know, anywhere from, you know, three to four pages to 10 pages to longer. So um, this is one of those. Anyway, to jump in. So in the book, Only the Lover Sings, Joseph Pieper claims that only a poet can truly see reality. Like only a poet can see things the way they really are. And really what he's concerned with here is see the purpose and the meaning and uh, the depth of reality of what things really are. Uh, And so we can make a comparison here to uh, the Eucharist where, you know, what, what does it appear to be? You know, what's the external surface? What does it look like? It looks like bread. It looks like wine. But what is it really? It's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Uh, In a similar way with the human person, you know, oftentimes we look at people and what do we see? Uh, We see their external features. Uh, We see their, maybe we go a little bit deeper, see their talents, you know, see their intellect, their uh, artistic capacity. We see their, you know, athletic ability, you know, whatever it is. Um, But oftentimes we don't really see somebody as a whole. We don't see them as a person. Um, And this leads us into a lot of, you know, just utilitarian BS. Um, And, you know, think about in the culture, how, you know, how often in, you know, I think particularly for men, we struggle with this of, you know, we see a woman out there and we don't see a like woman person. Uh, We see a really cute butt. Uh, You know, girls, uh, what do you see? not a man oftentimes, but a source of, um, you know, emotional outlet, uh, a source of, you know, safety, a source of status. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what girls see. They're much more complicated than guys. Guys usually just see a cute butt. Um, but this is, this is because, according to Joseph Pieper, this is because we don't sit long enough to see the deeper reality. We don't spend the time to really see the depth of what things and, you know, what people really are. Um, You know, we see see the surface, but uh, he says that only somebody who truly loves is able to have the patience to sit long enough to, you know, really stare into a woman's eyes and see the depth of her soul, the depth of her personhood, uh, and to treat her according to that. And then with the natural world, um, you know, how, how often are we satisfied with the surface of the product of the scientific method? 
we look at trees, we look at grass, we look at animals, and we, we think to ourselves, this is all there is. There's no deeper meaning, there's no deeper purpose, and uh, we, we lose a sort of romantic sense of reality. We lose an ability to look at something artistically, to look at something as a lover or as a poet. And so, you know, he Pieper kind of puts these ideas together of, you know, the poet is the one who is able to sit and to stare long enough to see the deeper meaning, to see the deeper beauty within something. And then it's through that that he develops the eyes to see or, or to speak as an artist, to speak as a poet. And I was at a conference earlier, that, well, actually, no, at the end of last year at Notre Dame, and Alistair McIntyre talked about this as well, uh, about how just as a culture, we've lost our ability to do poetry, to uh, see poetry in nature, like to see things poetically, as well as to read poetry, to create poetry. Um, you know, we, we, we don't have very many, if any, really great poets nowadays. And, you know, he pointed out that, uh, yeah, people will come back and argue that, well, you know, like musicians, like rap artists and, you know, musician like other musicians, uh, they are the poets of the day. But if you think about the music that we listen to, like, yes, there are some musical artists who are very great poets, but they tend to not be the popular ones. Just as a culture, you know, what are we more concerned with than actually the lyrics? We're concerned with the beat and the rhythm. We're concerned with how it stirs our emotions rather than letting it penetrate into our hearts, into our minds. And, and this, this is something, you know, within art. Uh, art should be penetrating more deeply. It should be affecting our heart. It should be affecting our minds. And through that, stirring our emotions that, you know, when I, you know, look at my girlfriend and I see the goodness within her that drives my emotional response rather than, you know, hearing a beat and a rhythm and that sort of like moving my passions aside from the intellect and aside from the will. And he says, you know, and I agree that this is uh, one of the reasons why our culture is so shallow, uh, that we, we don't let our emotions be stirred by our intellect, but that we have our emotions stirred aside from our intellect. And I can't tell you how many times my students, uh, you know, I'll, they'll be singing a song or something like that before class. And I'll say, like, hey, do you realize, you know, what you're saying? And they're like, oh, well, I don't listen to the words. And yet, you know, people make the claim that that is our poetry nowadays, uh, poetry, which we don't even listen to the words. But anyway, so my, my encouragement here, you know, I think this is something necessary that we develop within ourselves is these eyes of a lover, uh, the, the patience to really look, to slow down and to look at reality, to look at uh, nature, I think is a great place to start because our conception of the human person is so screwed up most of the time we can't actually see other people for what they really are. Um, but yeah, to, to just develop this poetic sense. Um, so turning, turning to Hilaire Belloc's essay, The Storm, um, I, I'm just going to read some parts of this and I don't, I haven't decided if I'm going to stop and make commentary or not, but, uh, something I think, you know, to test yourself on, do you have the attention once I really get into reading his description of the storm? So, so little summary, uh, he's, he's just going to be 
poetically describing a storm that he sees. And you can sort of feel the great impact that it has upon his heart just from hearing how he talks about it. And, you know, I think about myself and I'm totally incapable of writing this way. And I think most people I know are totally incapable of writing this way. And I think that says something about our state as people, our state as a culture. Um, and I think it's something that we should really put in some effort to redevelop. Um, and, you know, at the end, I'll have a couple of tips, you know, from my own experience of, you know, what, what we might try to do to redevelop this poetic sense. But anyway, what I was saying, the test for yourself, uh, see if you actually have the attention span to listen to all of what Hilaire Belloc says without having to pause and rewind and go back. I know myself, even just reading it, um, it's so difficult for me to invest my imagination into what he's saying that I get distracted even reading the words and listening is, you know, that much harder. Uh, and it's just sad that as a culture, you know, we, we can't sit down and use our imaginations for, you know, we'll see how long it actually takes me to read through the like five pages that this is. So anyway, Belloc begins. Uh, There's a contemptible habit of mind, contemptible in intellect, not in morals, which would withdraw from the mass of life the fecundity of perception. So like the, the depth, the fruitfulness of perception. The things that we see are, according to the interpretation of the mystics, every one of them symbols in masks of things unseen. The mystics have never proved their theory true, but it is undoubtedly true that the perception of things, when it is sane, is manifold. It is true that as we grow older, the perception of things is increasingly manifold, and that one perception breeds 100 others, so that we advance through life as through a pageant, enjoying in greater and greater degree, day by day, if we open ourselves to them, the glorious works of God. And that's really beautiful. And this is, you know, the, the point of becoming a poet. Uh, you need poetic eyes to see the depth of God's glory in his creation. And all of creation should be pointing to the glory. Well, no, all of creation does point to the glory of God. But oftentimes we don't have eyes to see it. But he says, Belloc says, that over time, over our life, as we grow in our experience more and more, we will develop this sense of the depth of reality. I don't know if that's true anymore. I'm, you know, I'm sure it is to some small extent, but we've very much gone backwards, I think, in our, well, not gone backwards. We've stopped developing this ability in ourselves to a great extent. So back to Belloc. There is a detestable habit of mind which either does not understand or sneers at or despises or even wholly misses when it is pursued in this faculty for enjoyment, which even our gross senses endow us with. This evil... evil blah, 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 blah. Let me try again. This evil habit of mind will have us neglect first, first color for form and then form for mere number. It would have us reject those intimations of high and half-remembered things which a new aspect of a tree or house or of a landscape arouse in us. It would, it would compel us to forget or to let grow stale the pleasure with which the scent of woods blessed us in early youth. 
Perpetually, this evil habit of mind would flatten the diversity of our lives, suck out the sap of experience, kill humor and exhaust the living spring. It whispers to us the falsehood that years in their advance leave us in some way less a lie. It adds to the burden upon our shoulders. Not a true weight of sad knowledge is life, however well lived, must properly do, but a useless drag of despair. It would make us numb. So to pause for a moment there, uh, think about children and how excited they get to explore, especially, you know, toddlers and young children. Uh, they love going out on adventures and they are just filled with wonder. And as we grow older, oftentimes we, we become numb to this. You know, we, we no longer stop to really enjoy a beautiful sunset. We're too busy. Our minds are too cluttered with all of our responsibilities, our perceived responsibilities. We become numb. Back to Belloc. In the field of letters, it would persuade us that all things may be read and known, and that nothing is worth the reading or the knowing, and that the loveliest rhythms or the most subtle connotations of words are but tricks to be despised. So we seek out scientific explanation, we think out, we seek out simple descriptions, and we think that these poetic instances uh, are just mere flattery, are tricks of words. Belloc continues, in the field of experience, it would convince us that nothing bears a fruit and that human life is no more than anarchy, or at best an unexplained fragment. Even in that highest of fields, the field of service, it would persuade us that there is nothing to serve. So nihilism, you know, this, this belief that nothing really matters, that there's no point. There's just what is out there, like there happen to be trees, there happen to be dogs, there happen to be human beings, and what are human beings but this product of chance? But that's stupid. Uh, so Belloc says... And if we are convinced that even every faculty in us turns inward and becomes useless, may be called abortive and fails its end. These thoughts arose in me as I watched today from the platform of my mill, the advance of a great storm cloud. For in the majestic progress which lifted itself into the sky and marched against the north from the channel, I perceived that which the evil, modern, drying habit of thought would neglect and would attempt to make material. And also that which I very well knew was in its awfulness allied to the life of the soul. For very many days, the intensive heat had parched the weld. The leaves dropped upon the ash and the oak. The grass was brown. Our wells had failed. The little river of clay was no more than several stagnant pools. We thought the fruits would wither, and our houses not built for such droughts and such an ardent sun were like ovens long after the cool of evening had come. At the end of some days, one bank of clouds and then another had passed far off east or far to the west, over the distant forest ridge or over egged inside missing us. We had printed stuff from London telling us how it had rained in London, as though 
Rain falling in London ever fell upon earth or nourished fruits in men. We thought that we had not been allowed any little rain out of heaven. But today, the great storm came up marching in a dark breastplate and in skirts of rain, with thunders about it. And it was personal. It came right up out of the sea. It walked through the gate which the river Adur had pierced, leaving upon either side the high chalk hills. The crest of its helmet carried a great plume of white and menacing cloud. No man seeing this creature as it moved solemn and panoplied could have mistaken the memory or the knowledge that stirred within him at the sight. This was that great master, that great friend, that great enemy, that great idol. For it had been all these things, which since we have tilled the earth, we have watched, we have welcomed, we have combated, we have unfortunately worshipped. This was that god of the storm, which has made such tremendous music in the poets. The parish church, which had seemed under the hard blue sky of the early morning a low brown thing, with its square tower of the Templars and of the Second Crusade, stood up now white, menacing and visionary against the ink of the cloud. The many trees of the rich man's park beyond were taller, especially the elms. They stood absolutely and stubbornly still, no leaves upon them moving at all. The downs an hour away fell first dull, low, and leaden. These were but half seen and at last faded altogether into the gloom. The many beasts round about were struck with silence. The fowls nestled together, and the only sign that animate nature gave of an approaching stroke was the whinny of a horse in a stable, where the door was left wide open to the stifling air, and the mad circling and swooping of a bird, distracted by the change in the light. For the sun was now blotted out, and the enormous thing was upon us like a foe, First I saw from the high platform of my mill a sort of driving mist or whirl, which at first I thought to be an arrow shoot of rain. But looking again, I saw it to be no more than the dust of many parched fields and lanes, driving before the edge of the thunder. There was a wind preceding all this like a herald. In a moment the oppressive air grew cool. It grew cool by a leap. It was like the descent into a cellar. It was like the opening of a mine door to a draft. The vigor of the mind, dulled by so many days of heat and nights without refreshment, leaped up to greet this change, which, though it came under a solemn and uncomforting aspect, gave breath and expansion. One might for some five minutes have imagined, as the dust clouds advanced and the furious shaking of the trees and hedges a mile away began to be heard as well as seen, that the call of coolness for work had come. Then that wall of wind hit the two great oaks of my neighbor next to my own frontier trees. The fan of the mill groaned, turning a little. It turned furiously and the strength of the storm was upon us. It lightened single and double and fourfold. The blinding fire sprang from arch to arch in an incredible architecture, higher than anything you might dream of larger than the mountains of other lands. The thunder ran through all this, 
not very loud, but continuous, and a sweep of darkness followed like a train after the movement of the cloud. White wreaths blown out in jets as though by some caprice in willful shapes showed here and there, and here and there, against such a blackness, gray cloudlets drifted very rapidly, hurrying, distracted, left and right, without a purpose. All the while the rain fell. The village in the landscape, and the weld in the rape, the valley, all my country, you would have said, was swallowed up, occupied, overwhelmed. It was more majestic than an army. It was a victory more absolute than any achievement of arms. And while it flashed and poured and proclaimed itself with its continual noise, it was itself, as it were, the thing in which we lived. And the mere earth was but a scene upon which the great storm trod for the purpose of its pageant. When the storm had passed over northward to the places beyond, and when at evening the stars came out very numerous and clear in the sky, which the thunder had not cooled, and when the doubtful summer haze was visible again very low upon the distant horizon, over the English sea, the memory of all this was like the memory of a complete achievement. No one who had seen the storm could doubt purpose or meaning in the vastness of things, nor the creative word of Almighty God. So that's Belloc. You know, he, he images this storm as some marching god. Uh, you know, he talks about it in very military terms. Uh, you know, it was this conquering force. And, you know, he talks about different interpretations of it. You know, this could be uh, something, you know, a great storm that we fear. It could be something that we long for to, you know, drench our parched earth. You know, we can mistake it for a god itself. And in all of this, there's a certain majesty, a greatness that can't be denied. And he says that nobody could doubt God's providence after witnessing such a feat. And, you know, maybe not directly the Christian God, but that there is something here, something powerful, something intended. And I think it's important to note that he clearly knows he has a sense of what this is, but he doesn't actually explain it. And I think this is the power of poetry. It's something which does not need to be explained. It's something which cannot be explained, in fact. It's something that one feels in one's bones. And it's something that we've lost. You know, there's, there's so many arguments for and against the faith, for and against different ideologies, but... Ultimately, there's a resonance that we need to find with reality. And we don't find that through argumentation. We find that through experience. But when we think that our experience can only be shallow, that really there's nothing deeper beyond the surface, we lose our ability to really encounter God, to encounter providence, to encounter the depth of a person. This is a great tragedy that I think our whole culture is facing. We've narrowed our eyes. We've shortened our attention such that we are no longer able to spend the time that we need to get to know somebody, to get to know something. And, you know, I think there's a real beauty to 
like sort of Greek poetic imagery uh, where you personify creation. Uh, and, you know, this may seem very pagan, um, but at the same time, I think we almost need to have a personality within nature uh, to help us understand the depth of the spiritual reality within nature. You know, there is, there is no thing that is just here by chance. It is all willed. It is all designed. There is an intellect behind and, in a sense, within everything in reality. And we miss that. We can't see that. So I said I was going to give some practical tips, I suppose you could say. Uh, maybe a little homework. One thing that I think we all need to do is learn how to see poetically. And this isn't something that you can just force, but it's something that you can imitate. So read poetry, and ideally read it daily. If you don't know where to start, which most of you probably don't, get a collection of poetry. Um, I don't even care what it is. Just get any collection. But uh, there's a good one that I have. Uh, it's a it's a collection by Joseph Pierce, um, who's a great Catholic author. Um, and he he collected uh, the the title of it is uh, poems every Catholic should know. I believe I think that's the title. I probably should have looked that up, um, but what do you know? Me not doing my research. So uh, poems every Catholic should know or something close to that, by Joseph Pierce. Um, find that, and just read a poem a day, and there's going to be some that you're really going to like, some that are going to make absolutely no sense to you. And when you read it, uh, don't just read it and expect to understand. Poetry is something that you need to spend time with. You need to absorb. And you know. So the first step is just reading it once through, twice through. Next step is looking up the definition of words that you don't know, and some of the poems are very old and will have many words that you don't know. Uh, write the definitions in the margin if you need to. Great way to increase your vocabulary as well. as a little bonus there for you. Uh, but learn the poem, and then repeat the poem and sit with the poem. Uh, another, I, I've been reading a number of Wednesday audience by Pope Ratzinger, Pope Emeritus Ratzinger, on learning to pray you know he says uh the the title of the collection is um school of prayer i think and he talks about the psalms as a school of prayer encompassing like all of human emotion and it's very true and there's he's not the first one to say that there have been many who have said that before but that would be another place to turn is read the psalms read uh song of solomon even, you know, parts of the wisdom literature, uh, other bits of like the Book of Wisdom, um, Sirach. Uh, read these and sit with them and repeat them over and over again. And I, I realize that a lot of the wisdom literature is not poetry in that form, uh, but wisdom literature generally is, you know, Proverbs. Uh, these, these aren't things that we tend to sit with as a culture. And it's something very valuable, I think, for us to return to. So maybe in your prayer, take some time and start praying through at least one psalm every day. In fact, just make that your goal, one psalm every day. 
uh, and really sit with it and read it several times and absorb it and feel it, um, know it. You know, I think it'd be a very good practice for most of us to, within our prayer, to memorize all 150 psalms. Um, it's something I'm starting to work on. And fortunately, I have a little bit of a head start having prayed the Liturgy of the Hours for years. There's several, there's many of the songs that I'm very familiar with and nearly have memorized all, without even trying. Um, but this is something, you know, you, you need to have poems that you memorize that you can return to in your heart, that when you have certain experiences, and this is this is something, when we read, it, it shapes the way that we speak and it shapes the way that we think. I mean, I, I am sure many of you have had experiences of like reading Shakespeare or some other really old, weird uh, piece of literature. And uh, when you read it and when you really get into it, you start thinking in that way with that language. And so we need to train ourselves to speak with poetic language by speaking poetry and not just uh, or, or by reading poetry and not just reading it, but really memorizing it, you know, find a couple of your favorite poems and memorize them. Uh, and then that can be something that, you know, when you have these experiences and you are, you know, sitting on the top of your mill watching a storm roll in, you can turn back to Belloc's poetic, uh, and, you know, it's not, you know, a poem in verse, but it's a very poetic, very symbolic, very imaginative way of looking at the storm rolling in. And you can use that as training in order to learn how to speak like that yourself. So reading these regularly, memorizing some of these, I think would be a very great benefit to all of us. Uh, another bit within that also is just practice writing poetry. So find some poets that you really like and memorize some of their poems and then try to imitate them. And this is really how you can develop your poetic sense is by imitating those who already have a better poetic sense than you. Um, and even something as simple as just copying down their, like handwrite and copy down their poems over and over and over again uh, until you know them by heart and you'll start to see yourself thinking and speaking in that way. Uh, but anyway, that's I you know I think I should probably wrap up. We're at thirty minutes now, um, but I just wanted to give you guys a short reflection on this sort of poetic sense that we've lost as a culture that I really do think we need to reclaim. Um, without poetry, I mean, how are you ever going to woo women? So this has been another uh, solo episode of the Pint Pipe and Cross podcast. We'd love to hear from you guys. It is pint pipe and cross at gmail. No, pint pipe and cross podcast at gmail.com. That's right. That is correct, probably. Uh, also, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, if you have not yet, please give us a five star and a comment on iTunes or any other podcast listening platform that you have that really does help us get up in the ratings if you like what you're listening to hopefully you want other people to listen to it as well because you think it is something worthwhile uh, also let me know what you guys think about these past two uh, solo episodes if you guys want more like this this is not going to be you know necessarily a this is not you know what we're moving to it's not going to be just a bunch of solo episodes but uh, if you you know, like hearing from me individually, if you want to hear from James individually, um, as well as hearing from both of us together occasionally. If you like me reading 
passages and entire essays from you guys out of books, let me know. Um, but yeah, we, we would just really love to hear from you guys. Uh, we are praying for you. Please pray for us. And until next time, this has been the Pint, Pipe, and Cross podcast. Peace.